everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion intersects with the world's deep needs. Today on the podcast, I had the privilege of talking to Dr. Christine Pohl. Dr. Pohl taught at Asbury Seminary for 29 years, and she is the Professor Emeritus of Christian Ethics at Asbury Seminary. This is the first of a two-part series on hospitality and community. Today on the podcast, we talked about the origins of hospitality, the important difference between hospitality and entertaining, why it's important to both give and receive hospitality, and how we can continue to do that even during the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's listen. Well, I'm so happy to get to talk to you today. I really enjoyed um, getting to read your book, Making Room. And so we have a lot to talk about today. So I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. How did you first become interested in the topic of hospitality? Well, I I think that goes back um, pretty er- to pretty early in my life, I, I wouldn't say that I had the language or the vocabulary for hospitality when I started being interested, but I certainly experienced its challenges and blessings. Um, I think from pretty early, I was drawn to people who are usually overlooked um, or you know not, not valued as much. And, and I found that I was the one who was blessed in the relationship. And so I ended up doing some work with people with disabilities, uh, quite a lot with people who were refugees um, or experiencing homelessness. And then just a fairly um, significant number of folks who maybe you would call lost souls, kind of people who weren't um, attached anywhere, um, who were drifting. And I found it really life-changing for me. So I started... I mean, it was always challenging, but it was also quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. And so that was really from fairly early, you know, from sort of teenage years on. And then I I think also um, I've for a long time been really since young adulthood been interested in intentional Christian communities. Okay. And so I I paid attention to them. And hospitality is often a key practice in those communities, and so I saw it lived out in community, and I found it very compelling, very appealing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think those were some of the the ways that I was formed initially in, to be interested. But the other thing I think was sort of the intellectual and moral um, challenge that I I was really struck by um, how often people can be cruel to one another and exclude one another, um, Mm -hmm. like through, you know, things like the Holocaust or genocide or things that aren't quite as dramatic as that, but still are terrible exclusions. And I kept wondering how we could do that to one another and eventually started thinking about maybe I could come at it from the more constructive side, which is what it would mean to make a place for people who were different from ourselves, um, how we might offer welcome instead of exclusion and destruction. And so I think those all came together in terms mm-hmm. of my interest in hospitality. Mm-hmm. 
So this wasn't one of the questions I pre-sent you, so you can totally say I don't want to answer this. Mm -mm. But did your interest in hospitality, because you mentioned exclusions, um, did it come at all because there were times in your life that you were excluded and so you wanted to try to do something to correct that and help others not to feel that way? You know, I think growing up, most of us managed to feel excluded by something or True. someone or some group. True. I mean, that's that's part of teenage years. Um, so, yes, um, I, I think there were times where, you know, I, I felt different or not fully part of the group. And I think it wasn't so much that I wanted to figure out how to make that better then as much as I remembered acutely the feelings of being left out. Mm -hmm. and excluded and, um, yeah, under, understood that, you know, if that were written out in a, in a larger way or if it actually involved, you know, basic well-being or something, that could be pretty significant for people. So yeah. I think, yes, that was part of it from yeah. early on. Yeah. For sure. One of the things that I found really interesting, I found many things interesting in your book, Making Room, but you mentioned that often we learn hospitality from others' example. So I was curious from whom you learned to embody the spirit of welcome. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think probably um, it was more my grandparents than anybody else, especially my grandmother, but really both of them. She mm -hmm. was... Um, incredibly welcoming. She just never really met someone who stayed a stranger for very long. And she would welcome them into her home and she was always making meals for people. She herself had been an orphan. And I think there was this deep, I didn't know it at the time, but I think there was probably this deep commitment to making sure that nobody was alone. Oh yeah. And so I, um, I saw that modeled in my life really my whole um, growing up period where she and my grandfather just made room for people and she made it look pretty easy and definitely she enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so that was, that was really formative sort of always having people at dinner, um, you know, extra people. Yeah. So in your work, how do you define hospitality? Because I think there's many, I think people think of it different ways. So I think it's really important to kind of set the found foundation for what we're talking about when you say hospitality. Yeah. You know, the, the Greek word in the New Testament, it's not the only one for hospitality, but the one of the main ones is phylloxenia, which, which actually means love of strangers. Oh, so that's a pretty basic definition. I think historically it has meant welcoming strangers into some home environment and meeting their needs, which would, you know, often be for food and shelter and protection. But it always meant more than that. It it always included more than the household. So, I mean, for me one of the working definitions has been to welcome people into a place they wouldn't necessarily feel free to enter without some kind of invitation. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So just, you know, in a space that you had some access to welcoming others into that. I think that means it has multiple dimensions, like physical dimensions in terms of feeding people or providing space for them, but it also has social ones in terms of um, providing um, recognition and conversation and, you know, valuing the other person and then 
it has lots of spiritual dimensions because um, we worship a God who's welcomed us. Yeah, yeah, for real. So you've been working on this topic for 30 years. Is that is that right? Like, how- Well, I've been working on it academically for 30 years. I guess before that, I was working on it sort of practically. Yeah, Yeah, because you have a lot of experience in the field of hospitality, and you mentioned a little bit about your work with the homeless and, you know, people who need welcome, you know, so you have both practical and academic experience. Mm. How have you seen the issues changed, change, or have they remained the same as you've worked in this field? Um, so I think it's a great question. Um, you know, in many ways, it just seems fairly continuous. Um, okay. Hospitality was always important, is always important, continues to be important. Um, in some ways, I think it's more important now than it was 30 years ago, um, just for a variety of, of sort of cultural and social reasons. But um, <laughs> I think with the coronavirus um, outbreak, we have um, maybe come to realize just how important um, face-to-face experiences are, how interactions that are, you know, in flesh um, are so important because we miss them so much. Yes. Um, And I think we've also come to realize how terrible it is when people who end up in the hospital or who are, are living in nursing homes or um, even isolated at home, how terrible it is that they can't have visitors or people with mm-hmm. them. And yes. so I think it, it, in some ways, this experience reminds us of how important face-to-face hospitality is. Yes, definitely. I, I think in terms of sort of the overall, you know, last 30 years, in some ways, um, people's fears about hospitality or about strangers. I mean, that's always been part of the story, but in some ways they seem even more acute now. People worry about terrorism or being overwhelmed by the needs of asylum seekers or immigrants or whatever, or, you know, they, they're they fearful of, of all sorts of unsettledness. I, I think those fears help us realize just how much you know, the issue of, of strangers who are unknown to us, which is what strangers are, um, right. but, but how much um, that drives our responses, but then also how much those strangers need hospitality so many times. So I think that's been part of the, the challenge so that the fear and anxiety about strangers seems even more acute today, but so do their needs. Mm-hmm. So that would yeah. be a piece of the sort of 30-year trajectory, I guess. How do we get over our fear in order to just have a spirit of welcome? I think one of the ways we get over it is by simply offering welcome. I think Mm -hmm. many times in the context of hospitality, we realize that our fears are overblown. Um, Yes, that's true in many areas I'm discovering, but yes. That's right. That's right. But I think our anxiety is just sometimes so out of proportion to what the real risks are. And, you know, as we, as we practice hospitality, we also experience the joy and the blessing. Um, mm-hmm. We have to deal with some of the risks. There are some risks. So, you know, part of the way we get past those fears is by making certain arrangements that make it a little bit safer, both for guests and hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, we, I think there are ways to get over the fears. 
Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about what those arrangements would look like for somebody who wants to make room for hospitality in their life? Like, um, cause I guess I'm thinking like, how do you, what you said about making it safe for the guest and the host, mm-hmm. like what does, what does that kind of space look like? Right. Well, I think one of the, one of the things that has made hospitality more difficult in recent history is that our households have gotten much smaller Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, there are only like oftentimes one or two adults in a household. So oh, yeah. it's harder to welcome total strangers into settings in which there's only one or two adults, which is why I think intentional communities find it easier to do hospitality. It helps if there are more people around. It's safer mm-hmm. for the guest. It's safer for the host. Okay. What do you mean by intentional community? Because so I communities, don't know. So communities that aren't just um, a nuclear family. Okay. So, I mean, it could be a network of households. It could be um, a group of people living together in, you know, one extended household or something like that. Okay. But, um, you know, lots of Christian communities would have, um, you know, a house with single and married people living in it or whatever where, yeah, people can practice hospitality uh, much more readily. When I was staying in a Benedictine community at one point years ago when I was writing Baking Room, Mm -hmm. I realized how much easier it was for a community of people to offer hospitality than one person. I mean, they were already cooking for a lot of people. Right, so what's one more? (laughs) Big deal to include somebody else, which is also what we used to find with farm families, right, where there would be lots more people around. So I think one of the maybe principles or whatever is to find ways to make hospitality personal but not as private. Okay. That's interesting. Personal but not private. How, how do we do that? Well, I think, again, um, you can still have face-to-face, close-knit relations, but you have more people involved. Oh, yeah. Um, You can be intentional about creating what I've called threshold places, which are places that are a little bit more open, where people can safely encounter each other as strangers and begin to build relationships. And so, you know, thinking about what might be threshold places, uh, you know, people often talk about in the the past we had front porches. And front porches are sort of a a threshold place. They're not exactly in the house, but they're definitely not fully outside the house. Mm-hmm. And that's a place where you can encounter a stranger while other people are kind of looking on or whatever. And yeah. churches can actually function as threshold places. Things like potluck dinners are a place where people can get to know one another a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes schools can be threshold places. Just being more intentional about looking for strangers that we might want to um, encounter in those spaces. And then it's a, it's a slightly more public setting to begin yes. to get to know each other. Yes, because at least for me, I think it's easy to overlook strangers because I don't know them. So I focus on the people I do know, Right. at least for me, and I don't see people who may need to be welcomed in. So for me, part of it is just um, learning to see people that I haven't seen before. Absolutely. I think one of the crucial ways that we become better at hospitality is simply to become more attentive to the people around us and even prayerfully ask the Lord to uh, bring us to people who might really benefit from welcome. 
I'm thinking now, especially because we're recording remotely because of the coronavirus, how do we engage in hospitality in meaningful ways during this season? Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> I, I must say that is a question I keep getting. And it is really hard because hospitality is, you know, an enfleshed, embodied kind of experience most of the time. And I've been very hesitant to sort of embrace virtual notions of hospitality, although I've, I've, I've sort of understood them in the past as something that supplemented face-to-face -face hospitality. But mm -hmm. now it's become the main way that we're connecting with people. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I've been struck by how effective Zoom can be in connecting with people. Of course, that's, you know, in some ways, some Zoom is with people that you know, but I've been struck also by how many strangers I've encountered that way now. And so I've been very grateful um, for that as um, an experience of hospitality. I mean, I, I would say I'm usually the guest in those settings, not the host, but that's been good. I think I think it's required more creativity to practice hospitality. A lot more of it goes on outside in smaller groups. Um, but I think one of the things to remember in this period is that the people who were vulnerable before the COVID outbreak are the people who are even more vulnerable now. And so thinking about those folks, people who really um, don't have easy access to food or who are overwhelmed in one way or another, or who are just very isolated, are the people we need to be particularly attentive to. And that means we have mm -hmm. to be more creative about reaching out. I think churches can do a lot. Some of them are. Mm -hmm. um, can do a lot about connecting with their more isolated um, members and then the people in the community that they, they know are isolated or in need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about church a little bit. <clears throat> um, what would it look like for churches that viewed hospitality as their central practice? Because like you said, some of them are. So this is not a critique, but how can we grow in our practice of, of hospitality within churches? I think Churches that practice hospitality look a little bit messy. Okay. Um, they're willing, I think, quite often to deal with some unpredictability because when you welcome people, especially people who don't usually fully fit in, mm -hmm. things are going to happen that are a little bit less tidy. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be one thing that I would say about churches that I think they would be active. Uh, you know, people would be active and engaged. I think there would be a lot of unlikely friendships. Okay. Um, you know, uh, I think one of the wonderful things about hospitality is that it allows us to um, cross or transcend pretty significant social differences. And so you might find people being friends with people who are really quite different from themselves, people you wouldn't expect to enjoy each other's company and um, be together, do things together. Um, mm -hmm. Can you give us an example of some of like a church experience that you've had or in your um, previous work of things that you've seen unlikely friendships form or some of the blessings that you've experienced because of hospitality and like, cause you've been giving blessings, but also you mentioned it was a receiving of blessings. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, I think um, where I, I first learned sort of the, the practice of hospitality, especially with refugees was the incredible blessing that came with not just sort of doing the regular formal resettlement of refugees, 
but the friendships that formed in the church. So beginning to know each other's stories, um, share each other's cooking um, interests. And, you know, in, in that church, it was, it was really interesting. Lots of times you couldn't tell whose children belonged to which adults because everybody was sitting, <laughs> all the kids were sitting on everybody's lap. Um, and it was just this wonderful mix of sort of white folks. There was it was about a third African American, a third white, and a third sort of um, mixture of all sorts of other backgrounds. And it was just a wonderful um, mix. It wasn't easy necessarily because we were quite different from each other, but it was wonderful. And you did have a sense of somehow experiencing a little bit of the kingdom. I think the the blessing that came when I was part of a, a biracial church in Lexington. Um, actually was the experience of being becoming um, friends with people whose life experience really was quite different from mine and beginning to be able to see the world through their eyes, which was a huge blessing. I mean, again, it wasn't easy, but it was such a, um, a gift in a sense. So I think those friendships um, that wouldn't just form based on necessarily where we lived or who we worked with um, can be a real a real gift and a real expression of a hospitable church. Yeah, because in your book, um, this is a good lead-in. In your book, you talked about even unintentional boundaries with our jobs or neighborhoods that unintentionally, most of the time, or sometimes anyway, are created that keep out needy strangers. So I think it's interesting that you're talking, you know, like that you mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of the boundaries are unintentional. You know, people will say, "Well, I just don't know any of those people." Well, yeah, if you don't, if you don't ever put yourself in a setting where you would encounter them, you're not going to know them. And sometimes, our you know, if we um, you know leave our our houses and drive to work and then drive home, and I mean, it's it's quite possible that we don't encounter very many strangers. So we, we, it does require a certain intentionality and a certain willingness to see the places where we've um, erected or just become comfortable with certain boundaries. So again, that's where threshold places can be helpful, where we you know, deliberately locate ourselves in places where we might encounter um, strangers mm-hmm. and begin to become you know, acquainted and then friends. Yeah. What would you tell somebody is kind of who wants to start engaging in hospitality, even right now, in a, in a fuller aspect of hospitality, how can, I mean, I guess we just go into these threshold places. Like, are you, are you saying like, find a place to volunteer or like, how do we get started? Right. Well, certainly, um, you know, finding a place to volunteer is a, is a good place to start. I think oftentimes we can um, begin by simply praying that God will open our eyes to the people oh. around us who might need welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, or even as you encounter strangers uh, across um, a day, that you might ask the Lord to, um, you know, you might pray for them and, mm-hmm. um, you know, be, be more attentive. I mean, it's not like every we're going to welcome every stranger into our life. Lots of people are, you know, fairly self-contained and going about their day. But there are people that God brings into our life that we can be more responsive to, I think. I think we really have to pray. I mean, the tradition has said, you know, if, the, if oh, oh gosh, what's the quote? But basically, the house is never going to be open until the heart is. And in a oh, sense, yeah. we have to really pray for a transformation of hearts mm-hmm. um, where we can um, be more attentive to the people around us. I think there are lots of ways we can 
um, express hospitality, but that first, those, those encounters, I think initial encounters are really important. I think another thing um, that helps is sometimes to connect ourselves with someone who makes hospitality look easy, you know, who kind of is, mm-hmm. is natural at it and to sort of be their apprentice for a little while and just watch how they yeah. do it. Because some people are just more naturally comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I'm thinking of some people right now that I'm like, oh, if I really want to do this well, I could spend more time with them and mm-hmm. learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk for a little bit about the origins of hospitality. So where did the tradition come from? <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's it, a big question. You know, right, just, just a small question you could write a book on. Um, right, which you did. Actually, it's a really ancient practice. Almost every society engaged in some version of hospitality. And I would say that was because... You know, the development of things like restaurants and hotels and refrigeration are all really recent, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. compared to the whole time span of civilization. And so when people traveled in ancient times, they were dependent on the kindness of strangers. I mean, if you were gone away from home for more than a few days, you, you needed new supplies and you needed a place to stay. And so it wasn't really associated with being poor or needy. Every stranger needed some version of welcome and was dependent on the community they were traveling through to keep them safe and and provided for. So I think that's the origin in most, I mean, as much as I can tell, that's the origin of the practice. It was an issue of mutual, what's called mutual aid that everybody would need that kind of hospitality. So everybody knew they needed to also offer it. And so it was a highly valued practice in most cultures. The the Christian tradition um, came to understand it a little bit more um, with with certain distinctives. But I would say that historically, that was was the origins, that people simply needed help when they were traveling. Yeah, and at least in American culture, now we are more self-sufficient for better or for worse. Cause sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's right. worse. Um, yeah. And, and so it's easier, I guess, to stay inside or we just get a hotel somewhere or something, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think people are actually quite uncomfortable would be uncomfortable unless it's an emergency um, to depend on the kindness of strangers. I mean, at least most middle-class people would, would not, think that was a great idea. You don't go traveling just hoping that somebody will take you in. I mean, that would be an exception. Whereas in the past, that really was necessary. Yeah. I really like the quote from your book that says, hospitality is a way of embodying the sacrament of God's love to the world. And I just thinking of hospitality as one of the sacraments and a way of showing love to other people. I thought that that was just a beautiful way of looking at it. Well, thanks. I mean, it, it seems to me that that's really important for followers of Jesus to understand. I mean, we welcome a God who has welcomed us mm, and welcomed mm-hmm. us at an extraordinary price. And so to be the followers of that God, you know, to be followers of Jesus means that we will also embody that kind of welcome. That's simply part mm-hmm. of who we are. And and so um, the Christian tradition really, um, I think— understands hospitality in a um, in a in a fuller way in the sense of 
it's it's embodying a response, a faithful response to who um, God is and what God has done in in such an extraordinary welcome to us. Mm-hmm. So Paul can say, you know, welcome one, in Romans 15, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That's an amazing statement, really. Really um, it is. And so hospitality becomes sort of core to, or it should be, and I don't think it always is, but it should be core to our identity as, again, as followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm curious, is hospitality is it a gift, a command, or is it both? <laughs> People always ask that. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's both. It's both. Um, it's clearly a command. I mean, Paul Paul says pursue or practice hospitality in Romans. You read in, in Hebrews 13, um, not to neglect hospitality. Um, in First Peter, not to do it grudgingly. I mean, those are all sort of generalized commands. In scripture. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in our own experience, we recognize that some people are just more natural at it. They're more comfortable. There is a way in which it's a gift. And so I I think it's both. I think I'm always wary of saying it's a gift because then people exempt themselves. It's like, well, I don't have that gift. And it's like, (laughs) an option. (laughs) Um, I I mean, you cannot have that gift, but you still have to practice hospitality. It may just be a little bit more challenging. Right. Um, and, um, and people do it differently, and that's fine. But I think actually neither of those descriptions is the best one. I think hospitality is better understood as a way of life. Oh, um, It's a practice within a way of life that, again, I, I think to see it as a way of life um, gets us away from the command orientation that often um, diminishes the way in which hospitality is good for everybody. It's not just that it's a a command to do something for someone else as a way of life, the way that God has created us, um, I think means that hospitality is good for both hosts and guests. And when we do that, we experience some of what God intended in, in God's economy, that this would be a practice that was good for everybody. I mean, it's still challenging. I don't mean to suggest it's, it's not difficult sometimes, but, um, but I think seeing it as a way of life allows a richer understanding and practice. Mm-hmm. It becomes more like a rhythm. Would you say that's mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, it's not so much one more task that we add on um, as good Christians that this is yet again, one more good thing we should be doing. It's actually a reorientation of how we're living. Um, yeah. I think. And then you're doing essentially the same tasks, but you're doing them slightly differently with mm-hmm. a view toward who might benefit from welcome, who might be blessed in the encounter. Yeah. You said something I found interesting just now about how it's important to be both host and guest at different points in our lives. Mm-hmm. Lives. Why is it important to both give and receive hospitality? Yeah, I mean, there are a fair number of critiques of hospitality because the hosting role can be a way of, of holding on to power. Oh, and, interesting. And being the one who determines the distribution of resources. And so if you always have to be the host, you might need to ask questions about why that's the case. I think it's oftentimes hosting is is the role where you do have more control Mm -hmm. um, and where you can often see yourself as not really being um, the needy person. And yet all of us have needs as well as gifts and resources. So part of the importance of 
a willingness to be a guest is a willingness to recognize our own vulnerabilities and needs and that those also um, need to be met. So there are people who are very uncomfortable being outside of a host role because they want the predictability and the authority and so on of um, just hosting. But I think being willing to be both and especially being willing to, um, even if you're hosting, to see that the um, the guest also brings gifts oh. and has things to share, and that the host doesn't have everything all together, but that they can there can be a mutual blessing, is mm-hmm. really important in keeping the relationship whole and um, life giving. Somebody told me with what you were saying. Somebody told me once, like one of the nicest things you can do for your guests if you're having them over for dinner or something is when they offer to help to find something for them to do so that they can be a part of of the meal, of the cleaning up, of and participate in it. Um, would you would you agree with that or disagree? Oh, absolutely. Um, I would agree. I, I think that sometimes the sort of the very stiff kind of guest host division of roles into guest and host are uncomfortable and uh, incorporating again, kind of just inviting someone into your life as you live it, which is what you're doing when you say, Oh yeah, you can help me prepare the vegetables or set the table or, you know, um, it's just a much more comfortable setting. I suppose there are times where you want to, you know, honor the guest by doing something special for them. But oftentimes it really, um, helps just to make it more natural um, where um, people don't feel as uncomfortable being sort of um, limited to um, sort of a formal guest role. So yes, I think it's really helpful mm-hmm. to just welcome people into kind of a normal life rather than something that's very, very um, structured and formal. Mm-hmm. Just kind of become part of the family, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's more because we defined hospitality in the beginning, but I think I'm still, as we're talking, thinking it more of having people over for dinner. So I want to like kind of move beyond that. What are some other ways of being hospitable to people on a personal level? I think being very conscious of um, viewing the other person with respect and valuing is something that we can take with us into any setting. Uh-huh. Um, which is part of hospitality. It's it's part of how um, how we understand the other person as being a person of value, a person who's interesting to us, um, a person with needs, but also with gifts. So I I have um, come to think that you know hospitality can inform how we do our jobs, how we structure work environments in ways mm-hmm. that respect um, persons, that show that we value them. Um, that can be true if we're in the healthcare um, environment or in a school environment in terms of how um, professors treat students or how students treat one another or how mm-hmm. people um, interact with staff and so on. Um, as we do it with, you know, um, being interested in people, in um, um, being eager to share times of fellowship with them, um, um, oftentimes in more personal settings, sharing meals is a really crucial part of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Historically, that's always been really important that um, that we share food or drink together 
and that we share conversation. So, mm-hmm. you know, creating environments in, where, in which conversation is easier. So that can be true even for a church and how it um, how it structures its gathering, um, not during the coronavirus, but other times right. how it structures its gathering spaces so that you can encourage um people to talk to one another and get to know one another and, and so yeah. on. But I think, I think it, it can inform a lot of how we live. Hmm. How does hospitality relate to our, our money? Because you talked about like giving of our time. How does it relate to what we think of as our possessions? So our money, our, our stuff basically. Yeah. Um, that's an imp- important question. It's, it's kind of a funny thing with hospitality. I mean, it, it does help to have some possessions to make hospitality more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it helps to have a roof over your head and, and, you know, enough money for food and so on. But it's not the case that having more stuff or having lots of stuff makes you a better host because it simply doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of times it's actually um, poorer people who are more willing to share what they have, even if it's not very much. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- but what I do think happens is if we have a lot of things that we're very attached to, um, that makes it harder to offer hospitality because we're worried about our stuff. It can um, actually get in the way of welcome. And so cultivating a, a lighter hold on things um, can, can be really important. Thinking about what, what and, and that's a bigger question than hospitality. That's a question of Christian discipleship, I think, of yeah. how we relate to I think how we relate to our things, our stuff, as well as how we relate to our time. Is it ours or is it something God has given to us to share? Yeah. Um and so, you know, lots of time hospitality means lots of times hospitality means sharing your time. And I think in some ways time is our most precious resource. And we hold on yeah. to it quite tightly. And so being willing to share that um, is a a crucial kind of gift we give to other people. Um, Similarly, a willingness to hold on to possessions lightly, a willingness to share them is really crucial in in hospitality. Mm -hmm. How do we learn to cultivate? Because for me, time is the big deal. I can be very focused on I need to get this this done here and if I get off my little predetermined schedule in my head I get very frustrated you know I can get frustrated Mm -hmm. if there's an unexpected interruption so I guess just and I hope I'm not the only one in the world who's like that because that would make me feel very bad but how can I learn I guess just talking to me specifically how can I learn to be more sharing with my time and not be so tied to, oh, well, I only have an hour for this and then I have to move on to the next thing, whether we're done or not, you know? Right, right. Well, I don't think you're alone in this. This is a huge issue. Um, and I, I, I think it's partly because we are very task-oriented as a culture mm-hmm. and we want to be able to measure the results of how we've spent our time, which means we want to be able to you know check off the boxes of what we've accomplished in this day and how much we've gotten done and how busy we are and so yes. on. And that does kind of crash into kind of an open-handed hospitality. Um, yeah. I've got 15 minutes to be hospitable. So that's right. come, come, and, come and get it right now because that's then it's over. That's right. Just kidding. That's right. Um, and I think, I mean, there's something to be said. I, I don't want to make an argument for just sort of floating through life because there, there, 
there's a, a real value in, in accomplishing things. But I, I was struck um, by the number of people. I, I asked people how they knew they were welcome. Oh, um, interesting. And uh, I was struck by the number who said to me, I didn't feel like an interruption. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, dear, because how often that's how we experience. I mean, I think opportunities for hospitality often come as interruptions mm-hmm. in our very task-organized kind of day. Mm-hmm. It happens at the edges, you know, and if we never have time, if we're just running from one task to another, it's very unlikely we're going to see the opportunities for hospitality. Mm-hmm. And so that does require, again, that's that's why it helps to think of it as a way of life. It doesn't mean that you're not um, doing a lot of the same stuff that you're doing. You're just doing it a little bit differently, Maybe mm-hmm. allowing a little bit bigger time boundary around the things you're trying to um, accomplish so that a teacher who's willing to stay, to come a little bit early to class or to stay a little bit longer after class is actually a way in which you um, can be much more hospitable to your students because you're simply there instead of rushing in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, not, it's not, we're not necessarily talking about huge blocks of time, but at least being present long enough to encounter someone and then to, you know, you might have to say, well, I can't do it now, but could we, you know, arrange a time to talk longer or to have coffee together or something like that? Yes. Yes. I like that. That's really helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. How can we use hospitality as a lens for examining our homes, churches, jobs, schools, kind of healthcare, politics? How, how does a, Looking at the world through a lens of hospitality, how how do how can we see the world? I, I think using the lens of hospitality would would help us to remember that our lives are enriched um, oftentimes by strangers, and so just living um, with a little bit more openness to difference and to unexpected things, to surprises would mm-hmm. would be significant in almost every sphere. I think the Christian tradition, which emphasizes, clearly emphasizes offering welcome to the least of these because of the Matthew 25 passage where Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Mm-hmm. In as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Based on that and the Luke 14 passage where Jesus says, um, when you give a party, don't invite your friends and your family and your rich neighbors. I mean, he's not saying don't ever have them over. Right. But in, invite um, the poor and the um people who are disabled and so on. Um, don't invite your fa- friends and family because you'll be rewarded, but invite the, the ones that seem like maybe they don't have as much to offer and God will reward you. Based on those two passages, the, the Christian tradition has really emphasized attentiveness to the most vulnerable ones. And I think that would become a really crucial part of any lens of hospitality for us, asking you know, how, how are the people who are vulnerable being affected? Maybe it's by public policy or by our social behavior or, you know, who is the church noticing in our community? Who's missing from our church? Mm. Um, you know, who's kind of invisible? A lot of times we can ask, who are the invisible people in my community? Because oftentimes those are the ones that are being overlooked. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that can be, those can be some of the ways in which hospitality helps us. And then it's remembering that just because someone has needs doesn't change the fact that they deserve respect and dignity. Oh, yeah. And so that should really shape 
how we respond to people's needs, that they have value, they matter to God, they need to matter to us, and and that needs to be shown in the way we respond to needs, which is partly by helping, but also partly by really respecting who they are. We talked about, like you mentioned it just a little bit earlier, about every stranger. We can't welcome every stranger personally. And I don't know, like when we get into the social sphere, you know, kind of the more systems and policy sphere, how that all works. But like, what do we do when we can't welcome every stranger? Because I know sometimes we've all heard the thing, I can't do it for everybody, so I will do it for no one. So, So what should we do? Right. I I think that's true. I mean, one of the difficulties with hospitality is that you do come up against limits. You know, many of the the people who practice hospitality say that the hardest thing actually is closing the door of saying, um, we we don't have room. And I think most of the time we don't even encounter the, we we don't get to the edge of those limits, Mm -hmm. but um, occasionally people do. And I, I think, you know, I think that Everyone benefits from welcome and hospitality, both as guest and host. But there are some people, the more vulnerable folks, the people who are more isolated or overlooked, that particularly need hospitality. And so, you know, does every stranger need our welcome? Yeah, but every every stranger is not, not really looking for it. I mean, if they're just passing through and they're, you know, renting their hotel room and all that kind of thing, they're mostly okay. But there's there's lots of other people, whether it's the family that's just moved cross country that needs welcome into the neighborhood or into the church, or whether it's kind of the lonely teenager um, or the person with disabilities whose mobility is, is limited or whatever. I mean, those people need welcome in a different kind of way. You know, similarly mm-hmm. with people who have recently immigrated into the community or um, whatever, there, there are people who particularly need welcome. Well, Dr. Pohl, we have covered a lot of topics today. Is there anything else that you would like to mention that I haven't asked? I'm not sure that there's anything I would want to add, except that I highly recommend the practice. It's really, it's a blessing. Um, it is, you know, again, you wouldn't want to say that it was necessarily easy all the time because mm-hmm. it's not. Um, and you can run into quite complicated situations and so on. But it's so much part of who we are or who we're meant to be as followers of Christ that I think it's it's a practice really worth recovering and, and working mm-hmm. at until it becomes a way of life. What is one of your most memorable experiences of either offering hospitality or receiving hospitality? I think probably the most memorable one of mostly offering, but again, it became kind of a mixture, was what really launched me into thinking about this, which was when I was working with refugees in New York City, because we were doing it on a large scale, my church, and my church was, and um, the experience was sort of simultaneously utterly overwhelming and incredibly powerful, Um, and sort of learning our way into best practices. And I must say, we didn't have a lot of best practices in the <laughs> beginning, but we, we kind of learned and we learned the, um, we learned it together. We learned the, the goodness of it, the importance of, we were persuaded of the importance of it. We just didn't always know what we were doing. And, you know, you, you kind of live to tell the tale. And um, I, I learned so much from, from doing it. And I, I think the experience of that, incredible mix of people from different backgrounds and people who desperately needed welcome at that point 
um, along with our oftentimes inadequate expressions of welcome, in the context of the church was incredibly powerful. Um, you really mm-hmm. did feel like you were sort of experiencing a little bit of the kingdom. That's probably the most memorable one. There are a million yeah. other ones that are important. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. What did you learn from that experience specifically? That it was messy. <laughs> that our best intentions could go awry. That we were pretty naive at times. And that there was way more blessing than we ever thought there would be. So that it was really, really good and really, really hard at the same time. So that even when I wrote Making Room, I was determined that I would never sort of paint hospitality with a a brush that sort of suggested that it was only nice and always easy or something, because that simply wasn't true to anybody who'd actually tried to do it. But the the experience of God's presence in it was so amazing that um, that was the overriding thing that I took away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because both sides have to be vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable and the most authentic version of yourself, it's going to be messy mm-hmm. on both sides. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, Dr. Paul, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed our conversation and very much appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. So we have one last question that we ask everyone on the show. Because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, what is one practice, spiritual or otherwise, that is helping you thrive in your life right now? (laughs) (laughs) Zoom. Um, Zoom, yes. Yes, amen to that. um, I I think... Yeah, it would be hard at this point without Zoom, but I would, I'm not sure that that would be the primary practice. One thing that I've discovered is, you know, my life has been pretty busy, and so I've not always had time to even be attentive to my extended family, which lives right next door and then the next house over. So there's three houses in a row that's family. Oh, okay, and cool. It's really a blessing. But mm-hmm. I haven't been all that present to my brother and sister-in-law or my niece and her family over over these past years because I've been so busy doing other things. So, you know, the, the shutdown has meant spending quite a lot more time outside with people that you um, interact with regularly because it's, it's a bit safer. So mm-hmm. my brother and sister-in-law and I, and most of the time my um, niece and her, her boys, and her husband, toward the end of the day, come together and just chat for a while in the backyard. That's lovely. It it has been lovely. Um, First of all, we're definitely more connected to being outside, well, I am anyway, than I've been in years, and experiencing the beauty of, of creation and so on. And then just the gift of being able to share more relaxed time with family because nobody's going anywhere. Um, right. And sort of making the best of that has been really um, a blessing for me. Yeah, I love that because I love um, how it's hearing you find loveliness in the midst of this time that isn't always so lovely. Right. So it's, it's, it's also really funny because in all my talk about, you know, hospitality to strangers, this is, you know, hospitality with my most immediate family members. But yeah. um, that has been a, a real help for me. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah. it would be quite lonely. Yes. Yeah. Well, Dr. Pohl, again, thank you so very much. And um, as I'll let our listeners know at the beginning of the show, when I do your intro, this is the first of a two-part series. So the next time we're together, we'll be talking about your book, Living Into Community, and some different aspects of that. And I'm really looking forward to that as well. Well, thank you so much, Heidi. It's been really good to be together. It has been. It has been, even virtually. It's That's been right. Great. That's right. Well, thank you. All right. Take care. 
Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation on hospitality with Dr. Christine Pohl. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and that you'll tune in again next time to hear us talk about community and healthy community and practices that are essential to maintain that health within community. As always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.